My name is Milian Mori and welcome to our podcast Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visioners, hustlers and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless and determined. We fight for love, profits and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth, and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Hi, everybody. This is Warrior Family, and I'm Smilian Mori. My friends, you are all here because you believe that we can create and live the life worth living. But in order to do this, we have to do something about it. And my goal within this show is to bring you friends, guests, experts to introduce uh, you to their belief system, their strategies, their hacks that can help you become a better person, better parent, better businessman, a better friend and create and live the life worth living. Today I have a special guest. His name is Jeff Sanderfer. He lives a dual life as an entrepreneur and a Socratic guide. As an entrepreneur, he founded his first company at age 16 and went on to found our co-found seven successful businesses at age 16. As a Socratic teacher at the University of Texas, Jeff's students five times voted him the school's outstanding teacher and Business Week named him one of the top entrepreneurship professors in America. Jeff went on to co-found the Acton School of Business, an MBA program ran by the Princeton Review among the best in the nation. In 2012, the Economist honored him as one of the top 15 business school professors in the world. Jeff is a graduate of the Harvard Business School, where he served for over 20 years on the school's governing committees. He was a longtime director of the Philanthropy Roundtable and National Review magazine and one of the youngest members ever elected to the Texas Business Hall of Fame. Welcome. Mr. Jeff, I'm so honored that you took some precious time from your private life. It's a joy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't know that you're in Austin. I came across your Acton School and Acton um, Academy maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, on every show that I have with my guests, I'm always asking them the same question at the beginning. Sometimes it's about family, but today I would like to ask you also these questions, but about school system. I have very young kids, seven years old Samuel and eight years old Sima, daughter. And as a father, absolutely I'm concerned about their future. Sure. And what concerned me is that I don't know what skills they should learn in the school. And I think that traditional school system, it's not the right environment for them right now. Well, I can only speak for us as parents, but yeah. we felt exactly the same way. Yeah. In fact, one day after our boys had been in a Montessori school, so they'd been going to a school where freedom was important as young children. It was time to transition them to a more traditional school. So I went to our daughter's school, a very expensive private school, to the very best teacher there. 
And I asked him the same question you asked me. I said, how, how soon should I send our boys to a regular school? And this tall, quiet man looked down for a long time. And then he looked up and he said, as soon as possible. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, once they've had that kind of freedom, they won't like being sitting at a desk all day and having someone uh, talk at them. And so I said, well, I don't blame them. And he looked down again for the longest time. And I thought I'd offended him. And he looked up and he had tears in his eyes and he shook his head very softly and he said, I don't either. And I went home that day and talked to my wife, Laura, and I said, the best traditional teacher in this city just told me not to send my boys to his school. <laughs> We're finished. We're going to create a school. We're going to homeschool. But I'm not having my boys chained to a desk for eight hours a day after they've had all this freedom and they have the learning. So, so that was the day that we really started Acton Academy by asking exactly the same question you ask. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think that is broken in the traditional school system and when we got lost? Well, the traditional system has a long history, yeah. at least in America, of preparing young people for factory jobs. Mm -hmm. I mean, back you, you, America became the strongest, wealthiest, most powerful country on earth before it had a traditional school system. Young people went to one-room schoolhouses mm -hmm. and they learned reading and writing and math. And then they went into apprenticeships and they learned how to actually do something in the world. Mm -hmm. And typically they had character, they learned about character from neighbors. And in fact, even sometimes people would send their youngest children off to another family mm -hmm. because no one listens to parents, right? <laughs> but they would send it to a trusted uncle or a neighbor to spend a few years, I mean, just down the street, but mm -hmm. talking about character. So that system, no system, mm -hmm. built America in the 1700s. In the 1800s, it wasn't until the 1900s, until the 20th century, that we had organized schools. Those were created in America by John Rockefeller, by Andrew Carnegie, because they were worried that immigrants coming in, people from overseas, mm -hmm. wouldn't be cultured enough, and they wanted to, to be factory workers, that they mm -hmm. would be too uh, have too much uh, spirit. Mm -hmm. And so they created uh, the organized schools to create good factory workers. Once you know that, these long lockers and sitting and having people talk at you all day and you being quiet and subservient, having bells ring just when you have a good idea, a bell rings, you have to go to another class. It all makes sense. It mm -hmm. was created to create factory workers. So I don't even knock the traditional system. Mm -hmm. It's just that the world today doesn't need more clerks and factory workers. It needs entrepreneurs and people who think. So I think that's why the system doesn't work. It was designed to create cogs for a machine. And first off, the machine no longer exists. And yes. secondly, people aren't cogs. My children aren't going to be cogs. It's so interesting because we have this environment sending us to the traditional school system. And we have some opportunities. Like we sent, uh, me and my wife, Helena, we sent our kids to Waldorf school. Yes, yes. Waldorf. It's it's different than the traditional. Absolutely. Yes. They're not so much under pressure. Yes. Sima is in the third grade. I didn't sit down with her for one hour to, <laughs> to, to learn with her. Yes. So do you think that it's smart that children come back from school and then they have to learn at home one to th two, three hours a day with their parents? 
Well, I mean, first, uh, the, the Waldorf system and the Montessori systems, mm -hmm. uh, we, we borrow a lot from. Uh -huh. So we have great respect for those systems, wow. the way they work and the way they have children to learn. Mm -hmm. To your question about homework, though, I don't think, at least certainly at the younger ages, the, the age mm -hmm. of your son and daughter, so, yeah. those are more ages for curiosity mm -hmm. and the love to learn, mm -hmm. to learn not to hit each other in the head. To learn some simple things. So I don't think certainly at that age, homework's necessary. We never have homework at our schools. Mm -hmm. Now, we just finished the first two weeks at Acton Academy, mm -hmm. and we had young people at school and at home working until midnight. Mm -hmm. Several nights this week because they had a public exhibition on Friday. The public came and they had to present, but they had something to do. Mm -hmm. No one gave them homework. Mm -hmm. Someone gave them a challenge, and they voluntarily went home and worked hard to be ready for the presentation. So we mm -hmm. never give homework. We never give worksheets. People never memorize anything. Mm -hmm. But they do get ready for the real world when they're going to be on stage, mm. pitching an investor, making a speech, launching a business in a play. So they're ready to be in the real world doing something real. What are some of the fundamental values that Acton Academy has? It's a great question. The first and most fundamental value is that every child's a genius mm -hmm. and deserves mm -hmm. to find a calling that will change the world. That's the fundamental mission of the school. Now, some people out there will say, well, genius, not everyone has an 180 IQ. But when you look up the term in the dictionary, that's not what it that's says. That's not genius. Oh. Genius is an unusual skill or gift that you mm -hmm. have to bring to the world. So we believe every child has some gift. Some may be doctors. Some may be physicists. Mm -hmm. Some may be plumbers. The world needs expert plumbers, sometimes more than doctors and physicists. Mm -hmm. So we believe every child has a gift. Our job is to help them find a calling that will change the world. And the second thing is the entire story of the school. The school is much about stories and living in a story and doing things mm -hmm. that matter. Is the hero's journey. So Joseph Campbell's old tale about that life is about hearing a call, answering it into an adventure, overcoming obstacles and monsters and villains, until the hero finally seizes the Holy Grail and finds out it was never about the Grail. It was about how the hero has changed in the process. Mm -hmm. And so we believe life is a series of those kinds of quests, and we're trying to prepare young people to go on a quest. Mm -hmm. So for every teacher that comes into the Acton Academy, they must have this belief that there are geniuses. It's a great question. We actually have no teachers at all in the school. No teachers. We do have Socratic guides, and that's not just a name difference. No adult on our campus is allowed to ever answer a question for any reason. They may only offer choices. So mm. if you ask me a question, I'll say, I, can't, I cannot answer a question, but I can offer you this choice. So our job as guides is almost to be a game maker, to set up a game, mm -hmm. an important game that you may have to give a speech in 60 days to 200 people. Mm -hmm. I'll provide you with a set of processes, perhaps, for creating a speech, or you may go on the internet and find a better process. Uh, we'll talk about heroes. You can listen to Winston Churchill's speeches, or Bill Clinton's speeches, or Ronald Reagan's speeches, and you'll prepare and work, but I'm setting up a game for you to play with rules and rewards, mm -hmm. and something wonderful at the end. My number one goal, though, if, for your son or daughter, is they become game makers. Mm -hmm. The sooner I can leave, and often, this, this will sound crazy, in our middle school, yeah. no adult will enter for an entire week. The young people do everything themselves. 
and it's not utopia. It collapses. It's Lord of the Flies. They have to reorganize. They have to, just like the real world. It's never quite right. Some days it's worse. Some days it's better. Every day you have to get up and fight. Mm -hmm. What are other fundamental values? Like we talked about first yeah. one. Yeah, I think the fundamental value the school holds very dearly, the idea of economic freedom, mm -hmm. political freedom, and religious and freedom. Religious. We believe that Lord Acton is who our school is named from, the famous British philosopher who said, his most famous quote is, uh, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we believe those three freedoms are inextricably entwined. If you lose one, you lose them all. So we welcome atheists and Christians, believers in Islam, believers in the Jewish tradition, all welcome, and we'll all debate in a friendly way not try to change other people's mm -hmm. minds, but try to find the truth together. Same thing politically. From the left, from the right, apathetic. Uh, but we believe in freedom, and freedom is the thing that bonds us all together. The freedom to choose and the responsibility to choose wisely. The third one? Gosh, let's see what a third one would be. Every child's a genius. Yes. Believing freedom. in the freedoms. And I would say the third one this actually isn't in the mission statement. Yeah. I didn't even bring it. But I would say that the third one is the belief in the power of story. Yes. That the, that so. the yeah. myths that we belong in, the mm -hmm. myths are as important as scientific truth in a different way. Scientific truth is what happens in the objective world, which mm -hmm. matters a lot. And the power of story is what we go out and use to create in the world mm -hmm. something that doesn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. So I think the power of story is, is incredibly important uh, for what we do. So... Can you explain how the typical day looks like in sure. the Acton, sure. Acton School? So uh, the young people will arrive about 8, mm -hmm. and they'll play for 30 minutes. Now, uh, Randomly. Yeah, randomly. Now, important thing to understand, the, um, these are back like one-room schoolhouses. So there's 36 young people of all ages in mm -hmm. the elementary school, 36 in the middle school, and 36 in the high school. Mm -hmm. So very small units. Okay. They're all located together. So if you walked on our campus, you would see a high schooler throwing a football with a grade schooler. You would see, often you would see, you might see a middle schooler teaching math to a high schooler because wow. there's no adults teaching math. Now we have experts. You can see Sal Khan on the internet. I mean, there's plenty of experts in the world, but not on our campus. Mm -hmm. You have to get them from outside. So you'll see young people playing of all ages at 8.30 sharp. Everyone disappears because there's a launch. There's mm -hmm. the beginning of the day where usually it's a young person, sometimes it's an adult, lays out a story and a challenge and some things that might happen for the day. The young people typically will spend the rest of the morning in core skills, reading, writing, math, choosing, though, what they want to work on. You might read a book all day. I might write a sonnet all day. Now, at the end of a certain period of time, certain set of weeks, we each need to have done several things, yes. but you can choose to do when. something, yeah, when is your choice. So reading, writing, math mm -hmm. in the morning, the afternoon are quests. So we talked about going out on a quest. Well, that's what our afternoons, you're with a team. Let's say you believe you're Thomas Edison, the great American scientist. You're at your Menlo Park laboratory trying to invent the light bulb. And so they have, the, the young people have a series of patents. They must mm -hmm. figure out how electricity works on their own. Yeah. They've got a pile of wires, some batteries, and some bulbs, and maybe a buzzer and a fan. 
And over several weeks, they have to learn to put all of this together to create patents and to create machines because they know in six weeks there'll be a public exhibition. And their work will be judged by the public, not just parents, other people coming in. And so they're in a game. They have on a lab coat. They think they're Thomas Edison. Hmm. Other heroes come in the game. They may dress up as another hero. Maybe hmm. I'm Tesla and you're Edison, and we're fighting over AC power and DC power. And, and so they're living out this game, doing things with their hands in real life, usually that involve economics. There's some trade-offs they have to mm -hmm. make to do something that they're going to actually do in front of the world. Because some of them are going to become electricians, mm -hmm. others physicists. I mean, this particular quest will, in, will get them into an apprenticeship as early as age 10 or 11, mm -hmm. where they're spending much of their time in the outside world actually doing something. Producing results. Producing results. Being held accountable. If you are enjoying interviews so far, make sure to follow me on other social media. You will find me on YouTube and Facebook as Million Mori Warrior Family, on Instagram as Smilion Mori and on LinkedIn and Twitter as Smilian Mori, S-M-I-L-J-A-N-M-O-R-I. What do you think, uh, why, like in my country, 50% of uh, college students, when they finish, with, they're, they're finished with college, they yeah. don't find the job, they don't get a job. Yeah, like 50% of them, yeah. they don't get a job in their profession. Well, um, you know, I, I've been a, a college and graduate level professor for a long mm -hmm. time. And I've done a lot in, in education reform, higher education reform in Texas. Mm -hmm. And my view is that um, college is okay for some people, but it costs far too much money and delivers far too little these days. And so that people, parents make a mistake to think, a college degree is the end. It may be a means to an end. Mm -hmm. If you need to be an engineer yes. and you have to have a professional degree, well, it's a credential you might need. I've told our son the other day, he's, he's a very accomplished, and I said, um, you may want to go to a top U.S. university, he's deciding. It's very expensive. But, you know, you, you can meet people that, that have a lot of money that can buy things from you. <laughs> Since maybe as an entrepreneur, it's better to sell big things to people with money than to have to prove your expertise early to get to that audience. Maybe. To go for maturity, he doesn't need that. Acton Academy's provided this place. He can test his maturity and his ability to talk and speak. Um, so we're wrestling with, should he go to college? And I think for most people these days, that answer may be no, particularly not a second-rate college mm -hmm. to spend $300,000. I think we're done with that. And that, collect all the debt. Collect the debt and then work at, at a place like Starbucks. Nothing wrong with working at Starbucks, right? Okay, yeah. But, but you don't need a $300,000 of no that, training to, to, to work at Starbucks. So what skills we should hmm. teach our kids? What skills do they need for the 21st century? Or That's a great question. I think it's slightly different. For, I think it's very different for every child. So everyone mm -hmm. needs to be able to read and to write okay. and to think. That, that's and to very basic. Those are clear. I learned this when I was yeah. 10 years. Yeah, that's absolutely. It. Those are all very, very <laughs> important. And it's hard to think, speak clearly and think clearly. And, mm -hmm. But in, certainly in the 21st century, you need to know how to discover new things. You need to know how to work in a team. All those are fairly obvious. The question mm -hmm. is, how do you learn those? Mm -hmm. But I think more importantly, each person needs to go deep into something they have a gift for. Mm -hmm. And that they find themselves losing track of time. 
Like you may lose your track of time in an interview because you're so good at it and you're, mm -hmm. you're in flow. Mm. People each have individual gifts. I think one of the reasons the United States has, has continued to work despite all of our flaws is we have labor mobility that if you're the world's best plumber and I'm an average physicist, you'll actually make more money and have a much better life than I will. So there are these hierarchies of talent everywhere and our goal is to find that hierarchy of talent where you can serve someone, mm -hmm. where your talents get used to the best. Mm -hmm. So I think it's different. Everyone needs to have these basic skills, mm -hmm. but I, you may want to be a physics ex expert and I may need to be a mechanic or a podcaster, mm -hmm. and I want to be the best one in the world. So I think the skills are different for different people once you get beyond the basic skills. Basics, yeah. yeah. So how can I, as a parent, discover the gift in my kids? That's a great how question. Do how do you discover? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll do lots of listening. Mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of testing you can do at the basic levels. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, it's, I think it's a couple of things. You give young people very hard challenges, and you watch what they love to do. Our youngest son started working on cars when he was about 10 years old, and he bought with his own money a junk car and one piece at a time rebuilt it and sold it for a profit. So he has a mechanical aptitude mm -hmm. that we saw him, you know, that we saw him exercise. Our oldest son at a very early age loved to give talks and Socratic kinds of talks. So it's clear he's got a gift in that and selling perhaps. Our daughter um, is, is a big data whiz. She's great at calculus and she kind of self-taught herself. And I don't think that's a matter of intelligence. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of wanting to. Mm. And so I think as a parent, one, you watch quietly. Mm -hmm. My sense, one of the mistakes, I, I made lots of mistakes as a parent, um, but one of the mistakes was I think I can teach my children something. You said the word teach. I don't believe there's much uh, correlation between teaching and learning. I may have taught you very well and taught hard, mm, but did you learn anything? Yes. So I very. think instead of trying to teach our children something, which it's always a mistake when I do it, I want to ask them questions. I want to offer them choices. I want to see what they want to do. Hard choices, not easy choices, a hard path. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is we don't make it easy for them. Mm -hmm. Breaks my heart when my children are unhappy. My job as a parent is not for them to be happy. Mm -hmm. My job is to prepare them for the world and to find a calling and change the world. So every time I swoop in and protect them or save them, certainly from something life-threatening, mm -hmm. we don't let them run across the interstate and get hit by a car. But most things won't hurt them in a way that's permanent, I want them to have to get knocked down and get back up. So I think the other way they find their, their place mm -hmm. is you let them not get knocked down and get back up. And they do that enough that they find the place they really want to be. I have so many questions. What test would you recommend? That sure. This gets into, we could spend our entire time on Absolutely. this subject, and I'm not an expert. I'm okay. not an expert in anything. Yeah. But yeah. I can tell you for our children, there's, there's actually a particular test called the Johnson-O'Connor test that I believe it's it may be offered overseas. It's, yeah. I know it's offered in the States. It was created actually by a General Electric engineer in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And it tests your actual aptitudes. Now, your interests may change, you emotionally may have different, but, but these are your inborn aptitudes. Mm -hmm. For example, picking up little pieces with the tweezers, like little pieces of, of metal, if you do that well, that's an inborn natural aptitude. That will not change. 
you are likely to have great fine motor skills. You might make a terrific surgeon. If I don't have that aptitude, I can still be a surgeon, but it's going to be very hard. I'm going to have to work twice as hard, and I'll never be as good a surgeon as you are if you work as hard with that aptitude. So the Johnson O'Connor test, which cost a few hundred dollars and take a day, are a great way of kind of seeing your inborn aptitudes. I think, though, if you listen and watch, you can see those come out. Mm -hmm. uh, but but that's, that's a good test. Uh, mm -hmm. It's one that we like. Okay, we find the gift that kids yeah. have. Yeah. At the end of the day, they must be ready for the real world. Yeah. And they have to know how to earn money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, we, we have many kids, 40 years old, 35 years old, still living in the mothers and fathers. House. I was going to say, not, not only they go get out of college and not get a good job, but they move back in on your couch, <laughs> yes. which, which is not with parents. We my fridge. <laughs> right? We love them, but we want them out yeah. doing something. We have one thing that I don't think we've even talked about that is um, I would recommend to people watching this, mm -hmm. and anyone in the world can do it. It's called the Children's Business Fair, and it was actually the start of Acton. Our boys came and they said, we want to do something besides a lemonade stand. So in America, you know, you sell lemonade on yeah, the corner. Yeah. And well, that was great. And they said, we have different businesses. So we put about six or seven card tables and had some neighborhood kids come, and they worked for a month, and they each created a different business. And they sold things for a day, and probably, oh, 50 people in the neighborhood came by and bought something or didn't buy it. We forgot about that. The next year, we started getting phone calls. Are you going to do that again? So we did it again, and this time we had 15 booths, 15 young Businesses. people. Yeah. Then we thought, well, we'll throw it the third year, because it was really fun. We had 30, and then 60. Well, now, this is now nine years later, we're, we're maxed Alex. Our yard is only so big. We have 250 businesses and 4,000 visitors that come. Even more around the world this year, we will have 250 of these fairs, and they're free. We provide a kit if people want to do them, and our family pitches in $500 of prize money. And people from the inner city in, in Baltimore, in the United States to the fanciest suburbs in Mexico City mm -hmm. are holding these fairs sometimes, and we recommend to people you start with just a few booths. You don't have to start big. But there's actually a website that's childrensbusinessfair.org. You mm -hmm. just put in Children's Business Fair. Anybody that wants to have one, if you want your children to learn how to make money, the best way is let them make money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> make something with your own hands, sell it safely to someone mm -hmm. you don't know, have money left over, you got an entrepreneur. Best way to do it. And keep the adults out of it. Adults should not help in any way. Yeah. I've told my children year after year what a dumb idea they had and they shouldn't do it because I'm a great entrepreneur. Nine out of ten times, it's been a great success. I was completely wrong about what the market wanted. No. And they actually made money and did well. And they, they did things that, I mean, I thought would just make no sense whatsoever. Wow. So that's something that, that anyone can do and... You don't need our help. You can just go put out the booths. But if you want our help, it's free. Mm -hmm. And we'll give you a kit of how to do it. And you cannot screw them up. Mm -hmm. If you invite the neighborhood kids and tell children about it, they will have fun. And they will. And some of them will cry because they can't sell anything. Yeah. And, and they'll come back <laughs> next learn. year. They, they learn. learn. They learn the yeah. art of the rejection. Yeah. Accepting the rejection. That's right. I think this is a very important skill, too. Well, and we have people that want to make, you know, want to create a curriculum around the fairs and want to teach children in a school about it. And our sons, who are really the founders, have been adamant. 
that will ruin it because the most important thing you said, the most important thing you learn is not even the selling skills mm -hmm. business, but to look an adult in the eye as an equal, at least in this mm -hmm. way. I mean, mm -hmm. adults have different stature, but, but in to be able to speak to them as another human being and be spoken to with respect. That, they say that's more important than even the entrepreneurial skills for mm -hmm. a young person. Mm -hmm. What are some of the fundamental questions that you ask kids when they're in school? That's a great question. The one way we think about that problem is every year has a different overarching question mm -hmm. that we ask session by session by session. For example, this year our question is, does the past determine the future? Hmm. I don't know. What do you mean by determine? What in your past, your, chi your childhood upbringing, your DNA, when you mean determined, do you mean that I wouldn't have been on this path or it's absolutely all determined, it's all fate or is it luck? So that's the kind of big question we start with. Mm -hmm. And then every six weeks, there'll be another quest and the quest will tie to that question. So we'll do a quest on probability and decision making which obviously ties. We'll do a quest on negotiations. Mm -hmm. And in each quest, we tie back to that big question, mm -hmm. ask smaller questions to lead to something you would do in the real world. So we have thousands of questions, but the question is, how do you know which question to ask? To ask yeah. And almost always, it, it, for the year, it's around this big question. So you think about luck and fate and how mm -hmm. fortunate we are and how grateful we should be for where we come from, mm -hmm. but knowing that we can change. Mm -hmm. Do you have grades uh, in the school, like from... Great question. So there are not grade levels. You earn badges. Mm -hmm. So if, if you did a quest, you would get a badge. If you learned Algebra 1, you would get a badge. And enough badges allow you to move from one studio to another. From so, what, what, what do you mean by oh, from one studio? Oh, oh, so there's elementary, middle, uh -huh, okay. and we call, the, we call the high school launch pad because they're launching into the world. So we, it's elementary, middle school, launch pad. You could move out of elementary, not in five or six years, but in two years, if you're ready. You can move out of middle school in two years, or you can take five years in middle school. It doesn't really matter, right, if you still need to learn some things. And so these badges, as you do the work, allow you to move. No adult grades those badges. The young people judge excellence. And here's how you judge excellence. They're mates. Yeah, they're mates. They judge each other. By the way, very, very high standards. I mean, in fact, what we have to do is we have to pull them back from being too high. One reason is, based on the standards mm -hmm. that they create, if you, because you're my friend, you sign off on a badge that's not high quality, and it's drawn and audited later, and the way we know who to audit is we ask the young people who should be audited, and they know. You'd be audited by a peer. Now think about this, who volunteers for the audit committee? the toughest judges, right? That's who wants to audit. Well, if you're audited and it's found you didn't do something, then, well, say it's me, I, I lost, then I lose the badge. Mm -hmm. Six weeks worth of work goes away. But if you approved my badge, you lose a badge too. Oh my God. So you're not about to approve something substandard that gets later drawn in audit because mm -hmm. it's too expensive. And it's important to say what we judge excellence by. So, so let's say you're judging my badge. First question is, is this the first time Jeff's ever done this? If the answer is yes, then was it his best effort? All I have to do the first time is try very hard. Mm. Second question, he's done it before. Let's put this next to what he did before. Did he improve? 
Because if I just improve a little bit every week, mm-hmm. at the end of the year, I'm, ma- I'm, I'm so much better at writing mm-hmm. or speaking. The third question is, if it's gotten to where he's gotten so good at something, mm-hmm. how are we going to judge you as an interviewer? You're already very good. Well, let's see how well Oprah interviews and William F. Buckley. Mm-hmm. We're going to judge you against a world-class standard and compare how you are. That's the third way. And the fourth way is if you're approved to, to show to the public something on behalf of all of us, which is the highest standard, then, then that's excellent. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't approve it if you weren't approved for the public. So the young people use those standards. Mm-hmm. They judge badges. Enough badges allow you to move. And then to have a portfolio to show mm-hmm. the world what mm-hmm. you can do. Mm-hmm. Because now you have your real work. We have every piece of work saved. And you can pull out those pieces of work. You don't need a grade point. Mm-hmm. Now, we can take what we do and create the most beautiful traditional transcript you have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And our young people have no problem getting into top colleges because it looks just like a normal transcript. Mm-hmm. But unlike most schools, you actually have videotape of what you've done. You have uh, photos. You have all the work. We have mm-hmm. every piece of work. You can show real work in the real world to show what you can do. Recently, I interviewed uh, Alex Sharfen. He's a huge entrepreneur. And while he was in the office, I was talking to to his daughters. And I asked them, what do they like about homeschooling? He Ah. homeschooled them. And they said, first, we get to spend more time with our parents. And they said, we don't like somebody teaches telling us yeah. something and what to do and how to think yeah. i was like you think this is one of the major mistakes that traditional school system is doing like they, they are sitting there listening to somebody they, they could read no one wants to do that and you ask about our philosophies we believe young people should have a choice mm-hmm. now in fact at you know in our school if you want to do nothing and go out and watch the clouds, you can do that. You cannot bother someone else, and you can't surf the internet. If you do nothing long enough in middle school, you'll have to eventually go home until you've done some work and come back. So you can't stay forever. But if a day, if there's a day where you feel like you just wanna watch the clouds, that's fine. What you can't do is you can't, there's three things, that, that three monsters that we have to fight. Yeah. Resistance, I'm scared. So we have to work on resistance. Mm. Distraction. I'm going to do something cheap and easy. I'm going to eat potato chips instead of eat good food. That's the, I mean, so the, the potato chips of the intellect, mm-hmm. video games, that kind of distraction, or just messing around with someone who's trying to work. We have to fight distraction. And then victimhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poor me. It's like, sure, you've had it hard, but you've got to be grateful. There's only one antidote for, for victimhood, and that's gratitude. And so those are the three things we work really hard to, to when, when all of us come up. And I, it happens to me. I ask myself, which of these three is it that's keeping me back? And what do I need to overcome? Hmm. What we can do as a parent, as parents in not living in Austin yeah. or U.S., where yeah. there is no Acton school, well, I would, I would guess that most of your viewers are already doing it. And the nice thing is, no matter what school your children go to, they're going to be fine because of you and your wife. Now, could they be further along in the 21st century? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But we'll never know that, right? Mm-hmm. As parents, all we can do is equip them the best. And so 
Uh, so I think for your viewers, keep doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, let them make mistakes and fall down and hug them and love them and send them back into the fight. Mm -hmm. And particularly when they say it's unfair. Uh, our parents will say, a young person will say, well, the, the studio was unfair today. I'm sure it was, and life is going to be unfair too. So either go back in and fight the injustice or find a way around it. Send them back in. So send them back into the fight, you know, hugs, kisses, love you back, back. into the fight. Uh, I'm not going to solve your problems. Um, I, I think those are things. And I think actually the children's business fair, just trying one of those, because it wouldn't cost any money. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is gather a few young people in the neighborhood. Again, we'll help out or just do it and see what young people can create. Don't help them. Just let them create, and you will be amazed yeah. at what they can do. It's extraordinary what young people can do. When we, to your point, we don't tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell them what to do, they'll yeah, go they passive, yeah. and they go on strike, mm. right? Free people don't want to be treated that way. And, and young people are as, I mean, they're just exceptional what they can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have any experience right now when they finish these different studios? And they get out of the real world. We had our first graduates mm -hmm. from Launchpad last year. Yeah. Our Guatemalan school has had a few graduates to go all the way through college, mm -hmm. uh, go all the way to college. Mm -hmm. It was interesting with our first graduates, uh, there were only three. One of them went directly into high tech, into a high paying job where he didn't need a college degree. So his parents are in technology, uh, both have very advanced degrees. Mm -hmm. And he may go back and get one later. He could have gotten into an elite college, and he just mm -hmm. took a high-paying high job doing something he loved instead. Another young woman uh, got, well, the other two women applied to school, and I think between them they were accepted into 13 of 15 colleges mm -hmm. and had over a million dollars in scholarship money. Mm -hmm. One of them has decided to take a year off. She's going to school in a year, and she's now touring around. She's going to make, I think, sixty or $70,000 plus expenses going to other Acton academies. Because we now have, uh, How many? We have 114 Actons around the world. Around the world? Yeah, so we have also 114 outside of the uh, U.S.? Yes. Where? Uh, gosh, uh, <laughs> Peru, Mexico, no. Guatemala, El Salvador, soon to be in England, Malaysia, uh, South Africa. Uh -huh. Um, so we have parents who started Actons all over the world, and she's going to tour those Actons providing advice as a consultant. Mm -hmm. And then the third young lady got a full scholarship to one of the top uh, engineering schools mm -hmm. in Texas, mm -hmm. and she's going there. So they all go off and do different things. Mm -hmm. To start an Acton school, what resources do you need? That's a good question. In terms of financial, yeah, well, knowledge, we, well, the reason we're people. running all these affiliates is we're running experiments. Mm -hmm. So we've got a network of people trying things, and so, so there's no one way to do it. The way we did it, and we suggest to people, is start small, mm -hmm. almost like a homeschool with some other families, mm -hmm. but with this community building and set of beliefs. And we have a kit. We have games and projects and things to give to the kid. So you start with five or six families who really believe, and you only let in families who really want to be dedicated that's the key, mm -hmm. parents and the young people. And you grow little by little, and it's, now it's too large for your house or your church or wherever you started. Mm -hmm. You get a small space. Then when it's time for a middle school and a little bigger, you have enough income coming in, you can rent a space. Mm -hmm. And then if you're like us, it grew some more. Today we have 100 young people and 60 families and a real campus. But 
we didn't need much money because at every step of the way, we bootstrapped just like an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. We had income coming in to pay for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we would start them. But we have people all around the world starting in different ways. I mean, so some people are starting bigger, some are staying smaller. That's why we have the experiments going. And every week, you would love this, every week, uh, all the owners, and these are all parent entrepreneurs who own a school, are talking on the forums on the Internet sharing experiments and every time we see one that works we copy it so the model is changing all the time as parents as we learn new things you don't need to have a teacher degree well or do you train yeah so it's a great question do you want to become extremely confident in a short period of time download my free ebook warrior mindset at www.warriorfamily.com and learn the best mental hacks and strategies to build your confidence. You have to ask, practically, do I need one, or does the government say I need one? Uh, so, that, that's my second, ne yeah, next yeah. question. So, practically, yeah. absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Regulation, what we say to owners is, mm -hmm. if you're going to go back and go to Slovenia, and I don't know. You have to find out. What will the government allow? Now, typically, schools, uh, countries that have Montessori or Waldorf, yeah, that means you probably can. A homeschool community, if you have those, is probably They're possible. Mm -hmm. But we say to new owners, we can't help you with that because Absolutely. we don't know anything. Yeah. You have to go learn. And, and so at every different place, uh, South Africa is different than England. Texas is different than New Jersey. Absolutely. And we're finding ways that people are adapting. All, and in some states in, in the United States, you cannot do it. Just against the law. I mean, you cannot against start an law. active. Yeah. And then how do you do it? You don't do it at all. I, or well, you can I mean, have something that it's not a school, but some they, people, they some use people your have, system. Yeah, some people have done that. Yeah. But, but even in some places, you can't even do that. You can't homeschool. I mean, some states mm -hmm. are so restrictive. In those states, we just, my advice would be find a new state. Hmm. Move next door to another state where you can do this. But we, our goal is just to provide parents what mm -hmm. they need. Mm -hmm. to have experiments from great entrepreneurs, and mm -hmm. we have no idea where the model will go. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're obviously not doing it for the money. We're providing money to do mm -hmm. it, but we just want to see what the model is going to look like. My guess is we've learned about 15% of what there is to learn. Mm -hmm. I think we're just at the very start of what young people can do and how this is going to work, mm -hmm. and I'll be fascinated in 10 years to look back and mm -hmm. see what, what our owners have built. Hmm. Let's go back to your childhood a little bit. Sure. You started your first business when you were 16. 16 what I, kind of business? Well, my father, and I didn't like this at the time, yeah. uh, he made me work in the oil business, in the oil fields, as a worker, as a manual laborer. Mm -hmm. So I was working for $2.35 an hour doing work in the hot sun from early in the morning to late in the afternoon until the, the sun went down. Mm -hmm. And he, I did that for three years in high school, so probably from age uh, 13 to 16. And I was going to have to do it the next year. And we'd been going out and painting these big silver tanks that hold oil. It was, this was in the oil fields that held oil. And I noticed that the company would take these big trucks out there, and they would have workers that would rather sit around and do drugs than work hard. Mm -hmm. They paid them by the hour, so they didn't work very hard. So I decided I wanted to get out of the hot sun and get into air conditioning. That was why I started the business. I went and hired our football coaches. So the people that were coaching football, they didn't have a job in the summer, but they had trucks mm -hmm. for free. We put a paint compressor in the back of the trucks, which didn't cost much. 
they hired their football players to work for them. And here's the key. We paid them by the, by the thing painted, not by the hour. They painted, um, the people who painted by the hour, people I worked with, yeah. who were on drugs and not working very hard, could paint one tank in three days. The coaches could paint three tanks in one day, okay. so okay. nine times more productive. And so that was the first business, and uh, it may have been the best business I've ever had because even way back years ago, I think we made $100,000 in profits. And the coaches got paid a lot, and the players, everybody worked very hard. But it was all changing the incentives to where we hired people who wanted to paint hard and paint quickly, paint well and paint quickly and would work hard. And so that was my first business. And then you started oil business. I went in the oil business. I went to, I got a petroleum engineering degree, worked for a large oil company, then a small company, then went back to Harvard Business School. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out of Harvard, I started an oil and gas company in the Gulf of Mexico. And then after that, offshore. Offshore, yeah. Yeah. And you did how many in profits? How much? Oh, well, I mean, we got very lucky, which is simple. We started with a million dollars in that business. And in four years, we had created $500 million in profits in that business. Now, again, Mm -hmm. a lot of that was hard work. We should have made some money, Mm -hmm. but our timing was very good. Mm -hmm. We got lucky. And so in that business, there was a lot of luck involved in that one. Okay, besides of having a lot of be lucky, what other uh, advice could you give to entrepreneurs? Maybe the most important because you have this experience having a business, being a professor, theory, practice. Boy, that's great. That's a great question. That's a really great question. My biggest advice would be you want to go into your industry, wherever you're going to work. Mm-hmm. And the same advice we would give at Acton Academy, you want to be an apprentice. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that I'm going to go raise $100 million for venture capitalists and start something is a terrific way to waste a lot of money. So I want to work very hard to learn to be extremely good at something and mm-hmm. pay a lot of attention and learn and see the pictures and the patterns and the lessons from someone else. Mm-hmm. And then I want to launch when I know something. Because I think people tend to try to raise too much money and launch before they really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a big fan of experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, you will occasionally get an Uber or an Amazon. Those businesses are valued highly. They don't make much money. Mm-hmm. So I want businesses that actually produce cash flow and serve people. And I want to understand the industry before I launch mm-hmm. for me. What is the hardest uh, thing of being an, an entrepreneur? Mm. Many young kids, they, they see Instagram posts, Facebook videos. They all want to become entrepreneurs, but there sure. is a warning also, probably. Well, I would say the warning from, from, from my experience, there's two, very, there's two very telling times. If you think about the hero's journey mm-hmm. and facing the monsters, one of the monsters is being an entrepreneur, I believe you have to have a tolerance for ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to say, see that mountain over there? That's the mountain. Now, I believe that's the mountain, and I can't get you to come if I don't say that. But as soon as we charge off, I'm saying to myself, it's probably not the mountain. I believe it is today, but I'm going to learn new Mm -hmm. things. I'm going to have to shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. So this tolerance for ambiguity Mm -hmm. is something that's very hard because people say, well, I can't say that's the mountain if I'm not sure that's the mountain. I say, well, you're sure it's the mountain now, Mm -hmm. but you need to run experiments as you go. So I think that's very hard. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing that's very hard is when you have to make a payroll. Mm-hmm. and you know you're running out of money and you can't take substandard customers, 
-hmm. but you've got to make the sale. And if you don't, people's families are going to suffer. Unless you run an operating business, you can't understand the fear of going to bed every night and knowing. Now, at some level, those people will be fine. They'll get other jobs. But, but as an entrepreneur, you're responsible for making payroll. And I'd say the third thing that's really hard is most people that work that hard at something they're good at and love will make plenty of money. Mm-hmm. And so I think being rich is about not spending much. Being rich means you make more than you spend. That's not about how much mm-hmm. you make. That's about how much you spend. spend. <laughs> so I want to spend much less than I make so my time belongs to me. So you can come to Austin and do this mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. love it. Uh, so I think for entrepreneurs, the third thing is, is keeping your spending low. And then the most dangerous thing is once you've done all that and been successful, the most dangerous thing in the world is an entrepreneur after their first success because they think it was all about them. You forget how lucky you got. You forgot, yeah, you worked hard. Of course you did. Yeah. People helped you. And you got all these lucky breaks. And so, and I've done this, and I'm so ashamed of it. But instead of being grateful for that, mm-hmm. my response was, look at me. Look how good I am. Is this an ego problem? Oh, it's a giant. And I think hubris, I mean, it's still my greatest problem. Is I, you know, life will bring you down from that. Absolutely. It's a much better life if you don't go there in the first place. And I am living proof, and I still could be lured there. Pride, pride and hubris. Mm-hmm. So the most dangerous thing about being an entrepreneur is you, you've got to that big success, you are coming back to earth. It's much easier if you bring yourself back. Yeah, I interviewed also Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. Oh, yes. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Oh, he is great. And he coached me in the interview. (laughs) That was great. Something really great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we talked about a lot about the ego and uh, the problem that when we get successful, we think that's it, that we're going to make it every time, every time. It's all about me. I'm in control. And I think that's the, the thing people forget about the hero's journey, which is really the basis for every great novel and every great movie. It's all about human striving, right? I mean, almost mm-hmm. all of them are about that. But it's not about getting the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. It's about how the heroes change. The hero always has a missing piece mm-hmm. when they hear the call. Mm-hmm. And the call is about the hero transforming and becoming something else. So I think that's the piece as heroes. Mm-hmm. As entrepreneurs, it's you're changing something inside yourself mm-hmm. if you get the grail correctly and then you start on the next quest there's always something something new mm-hmm. what were some of the values that you got from your parents that made you who you are today doing all the great things professor yeah. being a professor having businesses now starting a school yeah well i was i was my father my father was one of those oil people who was rich one year and broke the next. And I loved him, but what I got to see was, I got to see that you know I was going to be different than that. So I'm the, I'm the opposite extreme, not necessarily good or bad, it's just different. But I also was, I was so grateful later in life, things that I took for granted everyone knew, mm-hmm. I had learned sitting around the, the, the kitchen table, listening to him. I mean, so there were lots of things I took for granted that I'm very grateful for that he brought. My mother had a tremendous sense of optimism. Everything was always going to be okay. So I got that sense of optimism. And then I had an uncle who was like a father, and he was a skeptic. I don't mean a cynic. I mean a skeptic. So he was like always prove it. Human nature, why are they doing that? There's a reason for everything. So I think a combination of you know, the, the business expertise of dad, but also seeing him be rich and broke and knowing I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Mom's optimism. 
and my uncle's skepticism and ability to read people. Uh, I'm not as, I, I can't read people like he could, but I do have that sense of skepticism, which says, mm-hmm. I'd like to see the evidence. I want to see if this is true. I'm not going to say it's idealistic, I believe everything, mm-hmm. or cynical, I believe nothing. Mm-hmm. Show me the evidence. Mm-hmm. What values do you want to pass down to your kids? My, our children have turned, are so wonderful, and mainly because my wife. The luckiest thing that ever happened to me was that she walked in my life, and I didn't do anything to deserve that. She's just terrific. And by the way, this is I, I, should, book, I should tell you this. This is her book about Acton Academy and yeah. the story of Acton. It's a beautiful to grow. Courage to grow. It's a beautiful book about the struggles we went through as a family. Yeah. It is a hero's journey story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But really, I think our children have benefited from from her faith in God. You know, she's kind of like the good Christian. I'm the bad Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that mess, messes everything up and makes all the mistakes. But from her faith, I think they've learned so much. And I don't know where they got what they've got and who gave it to them, but we've, we've got three terrific kids all in their own way, and I'm just very grateful. Mm-hmm. Some children are harder than others. I've learned this you, as a parent. I would never say, well, that child's, you know, something's going on with that child blaming the parent. Mm-hmm. Parents make a lot of mistakes and can contribute. Some children are really harder. Ours have been easy. Mm-hmm. We got good draws in terms of temperament and things. We, we just, you know, our children have been easy. So I don't want to pass anything on to them. I'm going to probably learn more from them in the next five years. They'll learn from me. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. What was the darkest place you've ever been as a father? In my first marriage, which was effectively over about six months after we got married, 70% of it was my fault and 70% of it was her fault. <laughs> and we would both agree. And so uh, we had a young daughter who had just been born. And the hardest, darkest moment was not being there to take care of her and having to give up control. And so I became an on-call babysitter that whenever my ex-wife didn't want to keep her, I would say yes. In fact, I would cancel all my business appointments. And I told my partners in New York, this comes first. And it was the greatest gift. It was the darkest moment because I couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And it was the greatest gift because I would never have spent that much time with our daughter and she's 22 now and just off on this extraordinary adventure with big data mm-hmm. and just a great, I mean, she's just a, but at that moment I was like, I can't, I can't protect my little girl. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely the darkest, most power, powerless moment I ever had as a, as a parent. Especially because she is a girl. Yeah. I, I mean, just a father and a daughter and you know that, you know, you can't protect her. And my ex-wife wasn't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't anything she was going to do. It was just as a father, you want to be there. And again, I got to spend extraordinary amounts of time, but I had to turn my whole life upside down to do that. And yet it turned out to be the greatest gift. If I'd stayed married, I would have been off working all the time. I never would have seen my daughter. And because of this having to surrender, I got to spend you know a large part of her childhood with her. And what did I give up? Making a lot more money. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, well, I think I think one of the great disappointments anybody that's a viewer will have here, if you make an extraordinary amount of money, and I've made a lot of money, mm-hmm. it actually truly does become a burden at some point. I mean, it just because if you don't like to spend much, what are you going to do with it? And if you're not careful, you'll hurt people with it. And uh, and I got some great advice from a mega billionaire who was 74, and he mm-hmm. told me, well, this was about six years ago, mm-hmm. he said, son, you're still doing a lot of business. And I said, yes. And he said, you're doing Acton Academy and the Acton School of Business. And he said, my advice is, he said, I went this year, I gave away $250 million. 
and I was worth more at the end of the year, and I gave away all I could responsibly investing it to help people. And he said, every night I go to bed, and I'm scared I'm going to die, and someone's going to use the rest of that money, and it's going to hurt someone. And he said, every dollar you make from this point on will be a burden to you, not a blessing. Hmm. And that night on that airplane on the way back from Florida, I said, I'm selling everything. I love business. I love it more than anything, but, but I have to believe that man was right. And so that's when I really started spending a lot more time. I was already spending a lot of time teaching, probably half my time. But that's when I actively got out of business because I, I believed what he said, that every dollar was not going to be a blessing after that. So we have this idea of being rich, having all the money, and then when we have it, we realize that this is not all. It's like anything else. And don't get me wrong. If you don't have any money. Absolutely. A that's a, we're not talking about people who are destitute. Absolutely. But the studies are pretty clear. Once you have fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars a year, yeah. if you're an American, there's very little correlation to happiness over yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and, and so, I'm I'm not talking about people who have no money or are powerless. That's a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. But those of us who've been blessed, but you try to make another million dollars once you've made some money, I think that's a fool's errand. Do you also incorporate some of the research and teachings from positive psychology? In Absolutely. Effort? In fact, mm -hmm. we have a positive psychology quest. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. have a whole quest where uh, even middle schoolers mm -hmm. do uh, Seligman and I mean the whole positive psychology, mm -hmm. all the experiments. Absolutely. So do you collaborate with Martin, Dr. Martin Seligman also? No, we use a lot of his stuff. Uh, yeah, I've never met him, but we, mm -hmm. we use a lot mm -hmm. of his stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I met him in Orlando. Two years ago, probably. I would love to sit down. I mean, I've, I've watched oh, the TED Talks. And, amazing, I've, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that's a, it's one of the great, I mean, the discussions of flow, the work on positive psychology, I mean, those are great gifts to the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, relatively recent discoveries. We, we're doing right now in the middle school, we're doing a behavioral economics quest. Mm -hmm. And so our young people are learning all the ways you think about money that aren't correct. I mean, they're irrational, totally irrational. And you know, they're going to come out so well armed with positive psychology and behavioral economics mm -hmm. and negotiating skills. I just don't imagine what, what you would learn that's more important than some of those things. Yeah. What do you teach them about money in the mm. acting school? Well, they do an entrepreneurship quest. Okay. Later, they do a personal finance quest where they learn a lot about projecting your income over long periods of time and how you're spending decisions. Mm -hmm. And it's a very fun game because they get their life planned out and they create like a 50-year spreadsheet and it's all working perfectly. But then we start rolling the dice. And the dice determine if you get sick or if you lose your job or if you're, you have three kids at an early age or you decide to adopt at an early age. Mm -hmm. And so all these things change and they have to change their spreadsheets. And what they see is what life does to, you know, what life will do to your financial picture. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they're thinking about how what's much more important in life than money. They're balancing mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. So we do that quest. We do apprenticeship quest every year. We're starting in middle school. They have to go find their own job mm -hmm. with no help from anyone. So, you know, it's not about the money. It's it's about the decision-making. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's about dealing with scarcity and mm -hmm. having to trade things. A very um, important skill. Yeah, yeah. so, so you know, people think, well, it's all about money, you're training entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, 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 no. This is about scarcity and choice mm -hmm. and making good decisions. Money is what we use to measure that, and it, it's something they can understand. What advice could you give me as a father uh, to a father of two young kids? They are seven and eight, you have kids they are 16, 17, and 22? Yeah, I'm not much in the advice-giving business. Just enjoy it. Mm. Just enjoy it. It'll be over. I mean, I, our son turned 17 two days ago. 
I was down this morning. He's getting his pilot's license, so I was down. We were down at the airport this morning, and he's a strapping six foot two. You know, and our other son is six one, and he's fifteen and a half. And they, our daughter's twenty two. They were seven and eight yesterday. Yesterday they were seven and eight. The only testimony I have for you is mm-hmm. it, it's not advice; it's testimony. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it because it goes by really quickly, and mm-hmm. it's a, and it's a great ride, and it gets better every month. It gets better every month. And, and you know, you got to trust them. I remember our daughter came to me and she was 14 or 15 and mm-hmm. said, I hate you. And I said, yeah, that's about right. This is about when you're supposed to start hating me. And, and when you get tired of hating me, I love you. And this, But when you get tired, you, you're not going to be ugly or mean to me because I'm not interested. When you get done with that, come back. <laughs> and she came back about a year and a half later and goes, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, was so, I said, no, no, I love it. It was great. So, you know, just love them. They're going to be fine. And it goes fast. Where can we find this book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Amazon. I'll offer you a money-back guarantee. It's a fun read. If you have an interest in learning, it's not just for acting, for learning and for children. It's a, it's a terrific book to read. This is the uh, copy for me? That's yours. Well, thank you very much. I will read it on the airplane back home. I have one last question for sure. you. Sure. We could talk for hours, but we have to go <laughs> <laughs> so we don't miss the airplane. Just pretend that you only have five seconds to live. Yeah. What? would be the last message you would give to your three kids, something that they would remember till the rest of their lives. I would really say, you know, love life and seek God. Those are my two things, because I wish I had done both of those more. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a great pleasure Thank you. Uh, to have you on my show. So love yourself and seek God more, and I will see you on the next show. Resources from this interview are available online. Visit www.warriorfamily.com and download the free book Lessons from Millionaires with all the resources mentioned in the interview. If you want to be a warrior who has it all, visit www.warriorfamily.com and download my ebooks for free. Learn all about warrior productivity, habits, mindset, marketing, and sales strategies confidence boosters and many other things. I promise that you won't be disappointed. More valuable content is waiting for you on my social media profiles. Instagram, Smillion Mori, YouTube and Facebook, Smillion Mori, Warrior Family, Twitter, Smillion Mori, and LinkedIn, Smillion Mori.